All right, folks, if you have your Bibles, please uh, take those. Turn to Romans chapter 16. If you're joining us online, please, if you can, reach for a Bible as we uh, come to this final chapter, a final message from our journey through the book of Romans. So if you would turn there to Romans chapter 16 with me. A few years ago, during Sunday school, one of the uh, teachers gave an assignment to her uh, children in class to draw a picture about what the lesson was about that day. And so they passed out all the crayons and the kids had sheets of paper. They started working. And teacher went around just to see how they were doing. And uh, one little boy, Billy by name, <laughs> had some crayons and his head was down and he had a uh, a very intense look on his face, and he was just coloring away. And the teacher came by and said, Billy, uh, what are you drawing? And he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher wisely said, now, Billy, wait a minute. We've learned God's invisible. No one knows what God looks like. He didn't stop his crayon. He didn't lift his head. He said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I like his attitude, don't you? Well, I would say Paul's given us a pretty good picture of God, hasn't he? As he is stroke by stroke through this masterpiece of the gospel, shared with us the glory of God and the majesty of his message of redemption. It is a masterpiece, right? The book of Romans is a masterpiece. It is the constitution of Christianity. And I hope that our journey through this has been an incredible help to you. I know for us who have been involved in teaching it, we have been humbled again by sharing things way above our comprehension but not above, by the grace of God, our ability by faith to take hold of them and believe these great doctrines of the faith. And so Paul now comes to some final words as he's writing this letter. Remember, it is a letter to the people of the churches in Rome. He's writing from Corinth, which is in Achaia, or southern part of the modern country of Greece. He's writing this letter and he comes to final words and he gives us in these final words some eternal wisdom. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. There's power in the Word of God. You believe that? There's power in reading the Word of God. That's the reason Paul said to Timothy and to all the churches and the pastors, make sure that you never stop the public reading of the Word of God. I wonder what would happen in churches across the country if a lot of them would just read the Bible, right? There's power. So let's do that. Take your Bible. Would you stand with me if you're able? Let's read these final words of Paul to the Church of Rome and... Listen for the eternal wisdom 
that's in his final words. <clears throat> I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who has been a host to me and the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, 
according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writing has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, Lord God, speak by your Spirit from your Word. As your servants, speak to us. And as your servant, I ask, May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, you are my rock and my redeemer. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Final words but eternal wisdom. And those go together many times, don't they? Whether it's a tender farewell, whether it's words spoken around or from a deathbed, final words often have eternal wisdom. And that is certainly the case here. We do not want to fly through these final words of Paul because there is eternal wisdom here, because the words were given to us by the eternal God, and they are eternally written in his eternal word. Now, these final words and eternal wisdom focus on four truths that I just want us to briefly consider. Four truths here. First of all, there's the appreciation of the colleagues, the appreciation of Paul's colleagues. You see that in verses 1 through 16 and verses 21 to 23. And then Paul shares some final words and eternal wisdom about the avoidance of counterfeits. The avoidance of counterfeits. That's verses 17 and 18. And then Paul shares some final words and some eternal wisdom about the anticipation of conquest. And then he closes this great letter with final words and eternal wisdom about the adoration of Christ. Verses 25 to 27. Depreciation of colleagues, the avoidance of counterfeits, the anticipation of conquest, and the adoration of Christ. And wasn't it nice of the Apostle Paul to alliterate all that for us that way? <laughs> First, let's consider, if you would, the appreciation of his colleagues. What is revealed in this chapter? Well, certainly, Paul had a lot of colleagues, didn't he? And when I look at this, I actually think of this as Paul's investment strategy. His investment strategy. See, Paul invested heavily in IRAs. 
individual relationship accounts. That's where he put his focus. He invested himself in the precious commodity of people. Three words come to mind when I read verses 1 through 16. Three words come to mind. People, people, people. Now, let's look at some of these names because they were important to Paul to mention and they are important enough to the Holy Spirit to put in his word. So I think they're important for us to consider for a moment. What, what impresses you as you think about these names? All these different names. Well, I'm impressed, first of all, by the number of these names. Aren't you impressed by that? He mentions in verses 1 through 16, 29 people by name or by direct reference. Now, what is so amazing about that? is Paul is sending greetings to the church of Rome and he's never been there. He's never been there, yet he names 29 people that he has known or he knows about who are now serving in the church and he sends them greetings. We'll see this in a few moments. Then... His eight colleagues send their greetings and he names them. So Paul mentions 37 people in this final chapter. And if you read his other letters, he mentions 29 other people in his other letters in the Bible for a total of 66 people that Paul mentions by name in his epistles. Isn't that remarkable? Now, we don't naturally tend to think about Paul that way. Would you think about Paul that way as you read his writings? Towering intellect, amazing passion for Jesus Christ. I mean, I've just imagined as much as I love Paul sitting down and having lunch with him. I mean, maybe in heaven. <laughs> but what am I going to say? Hey, Paul, how about them balls? Oh, you know? <laughs> you know, you, you don't think about Paul that way. But the reality here is much different than barriers I have put in my mind. Somehow in my mind, I have the idea that Paul is unapproachable. He lives in the thin air of Christianity. He's, he's a Christian, but he's not a Christian like I'm a Christian. But that's not how he comes across here at all. Paul loved people. And that is why he was interested in individuals. And he poured his life into individuals. You see, Paul loved people because he was a gospel-hearted person. You cannot be a gospel-hearted person and not have a concern for people. 
Why? Because the gospel comes out of the heart of the Lord Jesus. And did he have a heart for people? I would say the Lord Jesus had a lot to accomplish, wouldn't you? Three years to fulfill the work that the Lord had given him. And yet we read constantly of our Lord Jesus had time for people. People who were quote-unquote influential, people who were insignificant, people who weren't even considered acceptable. Jesus had time for all of them. And that love had come into Paul's heart. A man who had been anti-people, especially anti-Christians, when he was Saul of Tarsus. But he had a close encounter of the divine kind on the road to Damascus. And the Saul that headed toward Damascus wasn't the Saul who arrived in Damascus. I'm impressed by the number of people. But I'm also impressed by the diversity of the people, aren't you? Such a variety in friendships. His friendships are men and women. Now that was uncommon in Paul's day. Uncommon in the Greek world, uncommon in the Jewish world for some ones, especially a trained rabbi, to have close friends who were men and women. I wonder where the rabbi Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, got that idea. A rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus who had as his closest disciples, men and women. Now notice this diversity of men and women. Let's begin with special note of Phoebe. Look at verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself. She's called here a servant of the church of Sincrea. The word here is diakonon. It is also translated in other uh, translations as a deaconess. Now whether... The word servant should be used here as she is a servant of the church or whether she is actually serving as a deaconess of the church is not the issue which is before us in detail today. And there are evangelical Bible scholars on both sides of this. But here is what is undisputed that I want you to see. She was a woman who had a very significant role. She had a significant role. She is a servant in the church of Sincrea. She has a significant responsibility. Why is Paul saying, welcome her? Listen carefully. Because she's carrying the letter. The mailman of the letter of Romans was not a mailman. It was a male woman carrying the letter. She is entrusted with this letter to take it to the church at Rome. And she has used her significant resources. She's called a patron of many. Evidently, she's a wealthy lady. And she has significantly helped 
in the church. This gives us insights into the role of women in the church. That they were not second class members. That there was a transformation that took place in the understanding that men and women are both made in the image of God. Who are jointly redeemed in Christ. Who are all gifted individually by Christ and given opportunities to use those gifts in the body. That's what you read in the New Testament. And the suppression of women which has happened in the name, quote-unquote, the name of Christianity over the centuries is not Bible Christianity. That is not what we read about. We read about the significant role that women had in the ministry of Christ while he was on earth and the ministry of Christ now as he oversees that from heaven. Very significant. Notice, there's some other things about these names. Jewish names and Gentile names. Jewish names and Gentile names. Some of the names are Greek, some of them are Latin, some of them Aramaic, some of them from ancient Hebrew. Jews and Gentiles. Not A team and B team. (laughs) Friends of Paul. His friendships crossed any social division, man-made social division. Some of them are well-known to us. If you read your Bible, Aquila and Priscilla. Do you see this? They are honored here. Notice he says, greet Prisca, that's Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow servants in Jesus Christ. You remember, they are honored among the churches. You remember where Paul first met them? When he was the only believer that we know of in Corinth. And he was all alone and he was afraid of the spiritual warfare. He tells us about this in Romans 18. And he meets two refugees from Rome in the tent factory. He brings them to the Lord and they become his first associates of ministry and they are sprinkled throughout the New Testament as church planters and disciples. And now here they are in Rome. Paul says, hello. Isn't that wonderful? He speaks, verse 6, of Mary. Mary, he says, That she has worked hard for you. And it's Mary here. We don't know which Mary this might be. But she's well known. And the word worked hard here means work to the point of exhaustion. He talks about a man by the name of Apelles. Verse 10. Apelles. Greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. That means he's tried and tested. This man has been tried and tested. And then this is a, maybe a little play on words, a little humor between the lines here. He says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, verse 12. Do you see that? Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Evidently, these are twin sisters. And you know what their names mean? Their names mean delicate and dainty. 
Greet delicate and dainty who are hard workers in the Lord. <laughs> Little Paul humor there. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Yeah, delicate and dainty, but whoa, dynamite for the Lord. These people were on Paul's heart. No doubt in his, on his prayer list. He can name these people because he has prayed for them. He loved people. And friends, I just want to say this. What a challenge this example is to us as 21st century believers. Maybe especially here in the West. Maybe especially in America. When we have so much connection... And so much isolation. As a matter of fact, when we talk about being connected, we're not even talking about people anymore. We're talking about data and not people. And friends, I want us to be careful. We have to be careful of this COVID culture of isolation. Take a risk. Love people. You'd think that we'd never known a time in the world when you might get sick by someone. Of course. But let's take a risk, maybe a risk for relationship. Amen. Some of us need to stop being Lone Ranger believers, solitary saints. You know why? Because... We're the poorer for it, and other people are poor. Now, I love the film, It's a Wonderful Life. I know, it's schmaltzy, syrupy. Say whatever you want. I like it. Watch it all every year. It's a great story. George Bailey. He just can't quite get his dream going. Working away, working away, helping other people, helping other people. Swindler, old potter. Finally has an opportunity to rip him off. George wonders if his life is even worth living because maybe marrying the kids would be better off. He's got this $10,000 life insurance policy. Maybe he can help them out if he just kills himself, except his guardian angel gets in the way, right? Remember? Clarence. <laughs> why, why a guardian angel? <laughs> but you know what? He's able to show George Bailey what life would be like without his impact. I love the final scene where Mary gets the word out, his wife, to the town, Bedford Falls. George is in trouble. George is in trouble financially. The, bank, the savings loan is, and they bring the money. They bring the money. They bring the money. And at the end, his brother, the war hero, comes in. And he holds up a toast. And what does he say? To my big brother, George Bailey, the richest man in town. Nobody is poor who is rich in friends. boy, Clarence. <laughs> boy, Paul. That's the Holy Spirit. 
I've been by the deathbed of many people over these 43 years this month that I've been in ministry. And no one cares about their bank account. No one cares about the big deals they made. No one's talking about that. You know what matters? People, family, and faith in Jesus. It all gets real clear at the end. Why don't we live with that clarity now? How it would change our lives if just in our mind we could go to our deathbed and back up from there and live now for what will matter then. Why not? We're down in the mud, as C.S. Lewis says, making mud pies out of what matters not and missing around us the treasures of fellow human beings to know and to love and to be loved by them. What's your investment strategy? How much is in your IRA? I mean the one that will matter 15 seconds and 15 billion years after your final breath. How rich are you in your individual relationship account? You say, well, I don't know. Well, I'd start working toward retirement if I were you. Get after it. It's not too late. You're needed. God wants to use your life. If he was done with you, you'd be out of here. Amen. Dividends in our lives, and that brings dividends in the lives of others. Notice the influence on the lives of others. Paul was a people person, so you know what he produced? People persons. Look at verses 21 and 23. That's the reason his associates say, well, let me get my greetings in too. Timothy and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and Tertius and Gaius and Erastus. Of course, Timothy, his dear son in the faith here, sends greetings. Tertius, notice what he says. And he gets his name in here. Tertius, who wrote this letter. You know, a little product placement right there, right? <laughs> Tertius, who wrote this letter. And I'm thinking, brother, you must have had writer's cramp like nobody in the history of the world. Can you imagine being Tertius? So evidently, Paul is dictating this letter as the Holy Spirit is guiding him, and you know he's just pacing back, and here comes Tertius, <laughs> Quill, and come again, Paul. Man, that man needed a nap after all this was over. <laughs> and he says, I, Tertius, wrote this, but can you imagine and been Tertius to be the one to hear these words for the first time and write them down? Erastus, Erastus here is said to be the treasurer of Corinth. 
If you go to Corinth today, I've been there. I've seen it several times. Corinth was destroyed by an earthquake about 150 years after this. And they just moved away from the city. And you can go and they can show you on the, in the forum where a building was dedicated by Erastus, the treasurer from the first century. That's who this is. Now think about that. Who did Paul first meet in Corinth? Who were his first disciples? Refugees from Rome. Priscilla and Aquila. He met them on the assembly line in a tent factory. And he brought them to Jesus. And now here they are, church planters and disciples. But not only did he reach those who were the lowest, the refugees, it was the same gospel for the rulers, Erastus. And here's Erastus, who is serving the Lord. He's the city treasurer. My friend, the gospel is for everyone. Lowest to the highest. Why? Because before the cross of Jesus, all ground is level ground. Our God is no respecter of person. He loves all. And so should we. Refugees. Refugees. Loved. Not questioned about how they got in this country. Not given a cold shoulder because they didn't have the right documents. But loved by someone who knew Jesus. And wanted them to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. What I've just shared with you is not a political statement. And if it comes across in your mind as a political statement, then you don't understand the kingdom of God. Every human being you meet, regardless of where you met them, how they got there, are people loved by God Almighty. And they need to be loved by us. Paul and his teammates send heartwarming greetings to their colleagues. But sadly, in order to be faithful... Paul also has to send heart-rending warnings about counterfeits. They're not all my brothers and sisters there in the church of Rome. There are some counterfeits. And he addresses them in verses 17 and 18 and says, avoid the counterfeits. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause division." They create obstacles. The word there is scandalon. Scandalon, which meant something which would hinder your walk. We get our word scandalous from it. Watch out for those who cause divisions, who create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid them. Tragically, just as there are colleagues in ministry, brothers and sisters, there are counterfeits in ministry. Amen. 
Jesus said this would be so. There will be the wheat and there will be the tares growing together. Paul in his closing words warns them to beware of these counterfeits. These are false disciples and they are false teachers. Paul's admonition is what? Watch out for them. The word here is scoping, which we get scope from that. Scope these people out. Watch out for them. Well, that begs the question, how do you recognize them? How do you recognize a false teacher? How do you recognize someone who is a, who is a counterfeit? Well, Paul says there's three characteristics here. Notice them very quickly. He says, you know them, you can know them by their fruit, their manner, their message, and their morals. Their manner, their message, and their morals. Here's their manner. They divide believers and they deter believers in their growth. When someone gets joy out of dividing people, when someone constantly seems to be in the way of someone growing in Christ, that is not a true follower and teacher for the Lord. That is the evidence of a counterfeit. Jesus prayed that his people would be united in the faith. It's the work of the devil to divide and destroy. Secondly, you not only know them by their manner, you know them by their message. Look at verse 17. Very clear. How do we measure them? Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, they don't measure up to the Word of God. Measure them by... The canon, the measuring stick, canon, is what they say in agreement with the word of God. How do you measure false preachers, false teachers? Let me tell you, number one, by what they say. Listen to what they say. Does it agree with the Bible? But now let me tell you something else, and it's even more important to know this. Listen to what they don't say. They won't talk about the holiness of God. They won't warn about hell. They won't talk about the necessity of holiness and godliness. They won't talk about the dangers of straying from Christ. No, it is a message of self. Appeasing yourself. When you listen to someone, listen carefully to what they don't say. And thirdly, their morals. Notice verse 18 says they are proud, self-absorbed, smooth-talking predators. Let me say that again. They are proud, self-absorbed, smooth-talking predators. Listen, verse 18. Here's how Paul describes them exactly like that. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They serve their own appetite. And by smooth talk 
and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Proud, self-absorbed, their messages are me, me, illustrations about me. Smooth talking, predators, they're not shepherds, they're wolves in shepherd's clothing. And Paul says, have nothing to do with them. And friends, listen, we need to hear that. Have nothing to do with them. What does that mean? Don't fellowship with them. They're divisive people. They, do, they, they are hindering others in the faith. They don't want to live in fellowship with the word. Then don't fellowship with them. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. Never listen to a snake. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't listen to a snake. Whether it has two legs, what? Don't listen to a snake. Don't read their books. Don't listen to their podcast. Don't watch their broadcast. And don't send them money. They are prophets for profit. Do not enable them and do not endorse them. That's plain, I know. But folks, these are predators. These people don't make converts. They go find new converts and twist them and steal the naive. And that's the reason we have to make sure that we disciple our children from the very youngest we disciple our young people. We disciple ourselves. We're in churches where the word of God is open and explained. Expose them and, ex be, and exclude yourself from them. This is what the Bible says. These final words of Paul share eternal wisdom about the appreciation of colleagues, the avoidance of counterfeits. But listen, there's words of hope here. <laughs> the anticipation of conquest. <laughs> Look what's coming. Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, isn't that a striking statement? Look at the contrast. The God of peace will soon crush <laughs> Satan under your feet. See, there's an insight there. How does our God of peace crush Satan? He crushes Satan by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen. The very first gospel Genesis 3.15, there will be enmity between the woman and the serpent, but one is coming from the woman. You, serpent, you will bruise his head, but he will, you'll bruise his heel, he'll crush your head. Amen. When did that happen? On the cross, the prince of peace, Jesus Christ, by the nails that were driven through his heels, he crushed Satan by overcoming his dark domain. And he proved it three days later, rising in victory 
He has won. <laughs> He's the victor. And now what has he told us? I will build my church. You go out with this message just like Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You go share that message and the gates of hell. Gates of hell means the authority of hell. Satan himself cannot overcome it. My friend, listen. There is no power like the resurrected power of the Son of God, the Prince of Peace. And he is breaking the darkness. He has conquered. And we are allowed through him to spread the light. You know what happened? Who was the new emperor when Paul wrote this letter? Nero. Nero, who would become the first emperor to persecute the Christians. He crucified Peter. He had Paul beheaded. But guess what? 250 years after Nero would be an emperor named Constantine, whose mother, a born-again believer, and Constantine stopped the persecution of the Christians, he made Christianity to be legal throughout the empire. And within another hundred years or so, Rome had fallen to the hordes of Europe. But guess what? The gospel was still there. And the gospel came into those hordes of Europe and spread to the nations. <laughs> you almost feel sorry for the devil. You can't, you know. <laughs> like, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. I got to tell you this. I haven't preached. Hang on. I just got this the other day. I said, if you didn't hear me, praise the Lord. I talking to some national folks from Cuba. Church, you may imagine the, the work of the Lord going on in Cuba. Fiel Castro's brother, Raul, some time ago got concerned about these churches, these people gathering in these churches. And so he sent out an edict, no more than 150 can gather. No more than 150. So they said, well, okay. Guess that means we'll start planning churches. <laughs> Guess what Raul did? He started a missionary church planting program. And now those churches are sending out missionaries around Central America and the Caribbean. You cannot stop the Lord. I want to say there's a promise here to some of you. Listen, listen. Some of you are battling darkness, I know. But the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Some of you are battling depression and doubt, but you keep on believing. You keep clinging to the cross. It won't be long that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. 
There's some of you here battling disease and disability. You keep turning to Christ. It won't be long till the God of peace will crush Satan beneath your feet. And some of you are right at death's door, battling death, or some of your most devoted loved ones have been taken. But my friend, Jesus has conquered the Prince of Peace. And not long, he will crush Satan beneath your feet. The final, the final enemy to be destroyed is death. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Final words of wisdom. What's the best use of any words? The adoration of Christ. Paul has laid out orthodoxy, right doctrine. But where does he end up? His orthodoxy takes him to doxology. Friend, that's where your doctrine should always take you. Right doctrine, the right understanding of God and his word will take you to the worship of the God of the word. If your doctrine doesn't take you to doxology, something's wrong. The gospel glorifies God. Save souls, save my soul, trust it saved your soul. But what God does through the gospel is glorify himself through Jesus Christ. Paul started with the gospel and he finishes with the gospel. It's the gospel of God that is mighty. Verse 25, it's mighty in us. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept from long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings. It's been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. The gospel of God is mighty in us. What does it say? The gospel through God himself is to able to strengthen you according to my gospel. You see, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We listen to the gospel, and it renews our strength, doesn't it? The gospel of God is mighty in us. The gospel of God is a mystery revealed to us. No one understood this from ages past. What's the mystery? That the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, would be the Savior to the nations of the world. And that in Messiah, there would be a new mankind, a new family, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, male, female, all brought together to be one, a new community in the Savior. For all eternity. No one knew this. But it's been revealed to us. Praise God. And this has become a mission for us. Verse 26. We have a mission. But now it's been disclosed. Through the prophetic writings. It's been made known to all the nations. According to the command of the eternal God. To bring about the obedience of the faith. You see we have a mission. 
We have a mission to share this wonderful truth that's been revealed. There is a salvation not from ourselves. It's outside of ourselves. It is from God himself, a free gift of grace to all who believe in the Prince of Peace, Jesus, who accomplished it all. (laughs) That's the gospel. And we share it, and that gospel has power. Power. It's our mission. And the gospel of God is a message. Just take the gospel. Make it your message to God. Verse 27, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. In your prayer time, is there time for that? Father, I don't want to ask you for anything just for a moment. I just want to say to you, the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. You know what Paul says about this? Notice verse 25. He says, it's my gospel. It's God's gospel, but notice he says, it's my gospel. Don't you love that? It's my gospel. It's not just the gospel. It's my gospel because this message has saved me. It's my gospel to have, and it's my gospel to share. And I wonder today, I'm asking you, friend, I'm asking you who are watching, can you say the gospel's my gospel? My gospel. I know Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and I believe I am the chief, but that's why he came, to save sinners like me, and I believe in him. I trust him. I believe what he did was enough. And he is my hope. Is it my gospel? Do you know it? Do you live it? Do you share it? Father, all the praise goes to Jesus. And that's what we want to sing to you right now. That as we sing, may it be worship from our hearts. And Lord, as we sing, I pray for those who need to make this their gospel, that you would lead them to come right now. Yes, to come right now. And allow one of our elders, our intercessors, to pray with them. Bring people to Jesus right now. Lord, for those who need to say it's my gospel to go out and make friends in Jesus' name, to reach out in his name. Lord, work. Save us from this isolation of a COVID culture. Help us to take risks for Jesus' sake.
Lord, help us all to know we are on mission. It is our gospel. We are debtors, just like Paul, to the Jews and to the Gentiles to share this good news. Lord, all the glory goes to Jesus. And we'll be saying that 10 billion years from now. And we sing it now from our hearts. Let's stand together.